helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to today's program. I'm Jim Shoemaker. If you're looking for advice on topics like purchasing a home or investing or buying the right insurance, maybe even buying the correct amount of insurance, yeah, you're just looking for tips on how to jumpstart your savings account. This is a program designed just for you. Send the questions, your questions, to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Now, here's the thought for you. Whether you're a baby boomer saving for retirement, most of us are, or a millennial getting married, paying off debt, or, you know, the whole thought is the common concern between those two generations, no matter the generation, is always money. According to a survey by PricewaterhouseCoopers, they said that literally 51% of millennials worry about money or are concerned. Well, one of the best ways to avoid the stress and the concerns and the arguments that take place with money is just simply sitting down and communicating. But we recommend that if you're getting married to do it before you say, I do. Well, my guest today, Michael Powell, David Rochester, and Shannon Dyson, we're talking about three very, very important subjects that tie in from marriage all the way up to knowing what your Medicare plan should be when you're retirement, when you're retired. So that's the whole gamut of finances, and you should be listening, and it's important. Let me welcome these guys. Michael, you first. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Always good to be here. All right, guys, this is important. Now, David Rochester, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jim. And Shannon Dyson, you're out there in the corner. You're getting got it. I'll be here later. Thanks, Jim. <laughs> All right, man. All right, we got a lot going on, guys. Now, let me start with you. And I think, Michael, I think so many people – I know I've been married 48 years, and you're getting married. Congrats, by the way. Hey, yeah. That's a long time. the same wife, too, That's by the great. way. And she gets a four stars. You know, she's she. we just had our recent anniversary and looking forward to making it to 50. I have to say, when we first got married, now, now I shouldn't probably, she's not, I hope she's not listening, and she probably <laughs> could be, but it, we, we kind of came from a totally different background. My dad's German. He literally was one of those guys that, you know, we have paid everything from cash only, no debt. And, uh, in fact, she accused me of picking up some of his greatest traits and also some of his tight, excuse me, uh, frugal traits. <laughs> she said I could literally squeeze the nickel, squeeze the buffalo nickel till the buffalo on the nickel set down. So I was tight, according to her. She came from a different background. And the reality was, I mean, you know, she was a little more spendthrift. After 48 years of marriage, we're completely the opposite. I mean, it's amazing how we've shifted. And I think that's what happens. We communicate today better than we did. And so now you're getting married next May. Yes. That's All correct. right. So let's talk about what are you currently doing as you prepare to say, I do. I mean, this conversation was basically last night because, I mean, <laughs> We're getting, you know, stuff moved in, starting living together. The, the wedding's in May, of course. And we're talking about finances for the wedding. And then, hey, how do you integrate your budgets together and everything like that with some of her bills and my bills? And really, I mean, this is not a conversation you're going to accomplish in one sit down. 
I think you need to have multiple sit downs for this. Cause like any conversation with money, it can get quite overwhelming at times. So, I think overwhelming, stressful is the key. David, yes. you've been married 24 years. 24 right? years of this October. That's this correct. October. Now I can remember, I can remember when you got married, literally, uh, I guess, can we tell this? David comes in, rides a, a, a big white horse in shining armor, comes riding over the hill to literally, guys, I'm not kidding, to say he wanted to marry his lovely wife 24 years ago. Am I right, David? It worked. I saw the it guy worked. at the costume place this weekend. He remembered it. 25 years later, he goes, I guess it worked. I said, it worked. It does work, you know, and that's a good part. Now, you did it, I think, with a lot of class. It took me five years to convince Miss Linda that it was worth the risk. And she's, she says, you know, what's so bad? Her mom thought it was okay immediately. Her dad, not even the day of the wedding, thought it was a good well, idea. She knew the strength she was bringing to the table. Exactly. Yeah, my fiance didn't uh, say it's about time after I'd asked her, but everyone else did. Oh, everyone uh, else did. But I had actually done it. We call it a COVID uh, engagement just because we were quarantined when it happened. Well, so, that's yeah. good. Well, this would be something you could always talk about. You sure. can talk about yeah. horses riding I over I didn't the, do a shining... <laughs> armor and the horse and all that but i had plans for it but then we had all right so you're telling me that you're you're getting it all on the table now let me let's get serious about this because i think so many people forget that communication when it comes to money is key Mm. when you say getting it all on the table you're talking about before marriage before you get married and literally not disclosing everything Yes, getting it out, all out, disclosing everything, all the debts you have, whether it's credit card debt, student loans, um, anything from just spending habits in general. I think I think that's the biggest thing. I mean, it's a learning curve for everybody when you're combining not only your finances but someone else's that you may not know the complete picture. But it's going to help you learn a lot more about the person. They're going to learn a lot more about you just because you're sitting down and talking about money. But Michael, let me ask you this. That and I think when you're in this stage, now I'm going to dive in a little bit deeper with mm-hmm. you. When you're in this stage of, of of putting your best foot forward and you're trying your best to be and, and using David as an example, the knight in shining armor, being transparent if you've got debt, if you've got credit card debt or student loan debt or you you may be to the point where you're thinking, you know, should I tell everything about my situation? Mm-hmm. Does that enter into your mind that maybe that could be a deterrent to getting married? I think it could be. Um, Should it be? It definitely could be, and it should be. Um, You know, most of the time people don't want to be so honest about their money situation, maybe because they're embarrassed about it or they just don't want, you know, other people to know. And, of course, in my line of work, it's my job to know your finances. So I guess some people are a little bit more open to telling you about that kind of David, stuff. David, how do you feel about that? Is that something that you did, that the two of you were transparent? I know Linda and I, she had a college debt, and and I told her dad, hey, when I get married, it'll be mine. And, you know, and I'm thinking that was a dumb statement. <laughs> but, but but I did because it became my responsibility. But it was we were all open. How about well, you? Well, Jim, because I know my wife probably will listen to this yeah, show. Sure. I'm going to be painfully honest. Uh, of course, I was 35 when I got married, so I had some – habits and some things established. I'd been independent all those years. Um, so it was, I had a difficult time with the transparency at first. And I think as a result, she was sort of the same way. So we were not completely transparent to begin with, even though I'd been doing this as well as a, as an occupation. Uh, and that created a little bit of uh, frustration between us in the very beginning. Now it's, you know, of course, all these years later out on the table, we're very uh, clear about what our goal is talking about that on an annual basis. But 
Yeah, I could see the opposite side of that, where it would be frustrating later because you weren't transparent on the front end. I think you need to be. I think being transparent is critical, Michael, mm-hmm. and you bring it up and talking about it multiple times. Yes. So the first thing that you're saying is a, is multiple conversations about where, what are the finances, what do they look like, what are your habits? Right. I mean, I was, again, and I kind of say it tongue-in-cheek, I could squeeze the buffalo till it's set down on the nickel, but I was tight, I and mean, my wife would tell you in a heartbeat. I mean, we had to. We bought a furniture uh, piece of dining room set, and, and we didn't have any credit. I didn't have. I was cash only. You know, if, yeah. you, if I didn't have the cash, I didn't buy it. And I put it. You know, had to finance it for ninety days to establish credit. And, and so, you know, I mean, that was a different mindset. I, and again, it wasn't that I meant to be tight. Or, or cheap. <laughs> just say it. Yeah, just the, say it. It's use the term. I'm too. <laughs> but the reality, that was just my nature. Mm-hmm. And we had so many things that we're in, we were in common with. But the communication about finances had to happen because we were not on the same page in yeah. that scenario. And you got to learn about their experiences with money growing up. I mean, did they work growing up? Uh, how was their family lifestyle? I mean, those kind of things will help you learn about about a person to help them understand a little bit more about you, too. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And, David, now you said that today the communication is much greater than it oh, was. Oh, yeah. We set our goals the same. You know, we, we talk about what we want to be able to do for vacations. We we save up for that. We plan towards it. Um, it and that began a long time ago, by the way. Right. That makes a lot of sense. You've mentioned goals, Michael. The second thing you talk about is that establishing goals, yes. whether it's for, you know, as he said, taking a trip, a vacation, mm-hmm. but really establishing debt goals if you have oh, debt yeah. to pay them off. Oh, yeah, especially today. I mean, a lot more people in the millennial generation, I mean, they're coming out with larger student loan amounts, especially if you go get a graduate degree and whatnot. Um, or even a lot of people want to buy a house and get to a new place once they get married, start from scratch or wherever they're living and whatnot. So, uh, those kind of things are important to sit down and at least write out, hey, how much do we want to spend on a down payment for a house? How much a month do we want to put towards the credit card debt that we're trying to get paid off, whether it's you or your partners? You said write down. Uh, write that, down. That's a big... Or track it. Track it. Way. But you're meaning, you're meaning put it down on paper, in other words. Mm-hmm. Have it so you can look at it. And that's, How critical is that in your, in your scenario? When you're talking to a, pro, a professionally to a couple, is write down one of your mandates that you say you got to put this on paper? I mean, if you don't have a, I don't really feel like it's a goal if it's not on paper or if it's not somewhere where you can see it on a daily basis. Because I mean, if you just say you want to be somewhere or do something and you never really uh, see it come up again until you just think about it randomly, then I, I don't feel like that's a legitimate goal. I mean, wouldn't you say so? I, I think that's a good point, David. You no, I agree with that completely. You know, earlier in our career, one of the things that, that you and other people taught us was, you know, get it up on the wall where you, you've got to look at it. Then it's real, whether it's on your mirror, um, whatever the case may be. And so I, I agree with Michael. So let me ask you this, guys. When you say communicate, 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 be transparent, then write it down. All right, I have a goal of X. I can remember my wife and I, you, we used to take every January of every year and go up to a little little town in, in, in Missouri that had a Holiday Inn with an indoor swimming pool. 
And we could set out there in January, which meant it was not cold, but we could kind of get the feeling it was people swimming and stuff. And we worked on our budget. And it was that time, not just our budget, but it was a time when we were transparent and worked on, as you said, written down type of things. And I guess we had to figure out things that we were trimming, mm -hmm. you know, and things that we wanted and, you know, goals like that, not the trips and things like that. Retirement wasn't even in our conversation. I could remember her wanting a bedroom suit. And I, I mean, I agreed 100%. I was a little tired of, of our bedroom suit being white with a canopy and trimmed in and pink. Oh, it was wow. her bedroom suit when we got married. So I, I thought, well, she said that would be like one of the first. And I said, got it. Yes, ma'am, we'll definitely do that. <laughs> Just get me out of the white poster bed. But, you know, it was so important because what she did, and I like what you're saying about setting a budget, doing the goal planning and things like that. It was a, it was, she brought in a notebook of what the bedroom, I didn't have the ability to see things like that. I was the numbers guy. I mean, I could figure the numbers and calculate it and do all that. But she brought the pictures in and said, this is the kind of bed I'm looking at. And with that, she had, this is the price, best buy, if we could. This is the price, maybe. I mean, and so it was very visual. She knew how to. She knew exactly what she was doing. Right. You know, she was saying, "Here's the bedroom. Here's the chest, or the the, the whatever the, the drawers, all the things. Mm -hmm. What do they call it?" And and she said, "Put it together, and how much is it going to cost us?" And I said, "This is going to be this." And she knew the number already. She could do the calculation. But how are we going to pay for it? Right. And so we established that we would get up to save a certain amount of money. So what you're talking about is the goal setting of a a couple's goal. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because like you talked about setting a budget. I mean, I can't really save for a goal unless I know how much left over each month we both have from our incomes or one of our incomes at least to set aside towards it, whether it's a two or three month goal or it's a five to 10 year goal. So the budget part is really important. I think budgeting is the most difficult thing to do, especially if a person hasn't lived on a budget well the only other thing and we use the term budget but it's really you're breaking it down into bite-sized pieces you know you're, you're looking at the bigger goal whether it's paying off the debt or buying the house and you're saying okay we've got to have this much money in a time frame now how do we get there and that's the free cash flow you're referring to but breaking it down to where you can both tolerate it and yeah. you've, you've both got to be able to tolerate it i do see a lot of times even still today where there are his and hers accounts she's got her money he's got his money they don't blend much. I think that's difficult. Uh, I think the the more you can combine resources, work on it as a team, you're going to be more successful. Oh, yeah, for sure. Hi, that's, a, that's a great point. So let me make sure we've covered this. Get it all on the table. Be transparent. That's great mm -hmm. communication. And the second thing, establish goals. And, and I guess what we said there was that whether it's a goal of getting out of debt or a goal for a vacation, David, as you said, or me saying buying furniture, whatever it is, those things that you plan on doing, write them down and agree to them. I mean, the the, the furniture purchase was not an absolute for me. It, granted, the poster bed was an absolute. I wanted to get rid of that. <laughs> but the camp point was buying furniture was not a top priority. You know what I mean? But it was for her. Right. And so that became the communication you're talking about, setting a budget. Finally, I guess, anything about insurance at this stage? What was your thinking there, Michael? So as you get married legally, you can combine your health insurances, if that makes sense. Like you may have health insurance with one employer and the other one may have it 
you know, on, uh, on their own individually, or they just may have, may have their own plan. So consider consolidating those. Um, we can do home and auto insurance type evaluations to make sure that, hey, does it make sense for me to use the same insurance carrier for both of our cars or one of, you know, our house and everything else? So, and also thinking about um, life insurance and disability insurance, you know, you're both combining your incomes and now you're going to be living in a lifestyle of that type of setting. So why not protect that and make sure that you have enough of those adequate insurance in case a financial disaster happens? Well, if you just tuned in, Michael Powell, David Rochester, we're in their conversation talking about what it literally means to be a newlywed and communicating about finances, whether you just got married, getting married, or as David said, you've been married for a while. Bottom line is communicate. It's also important to establish your goals, set a budget, Combine insurances, do some insurance planning. If you'd like to talk to Michael or David, give them a call at 757-5757. And uh, just just simply say, I'd like to talk about the subject that you heard on the radio. And uh, we appreciate you doing that, 757-5757. Well, David, let me ask you this. Guys, stay around the table. 1.6 million Americans are baby boomers. Now, we're going to change topics, guys. Bottom line is, we've gone from that brand new newlywed, as we said earlier, and we talked about the fact that that group, 51% of them, the millennials, literally are concerned or stressed out over money. Now, I'm going to get Shannon to come in with us on this because bottom line is, baby boomers, they're saying 38% of them, their top discussion, top argument, top stressor is money. And retirement, David, they are saying, bottom line, they are across the board. They believe, you ready for this? Excuse me. That they believe, 52% believe, they're not going to have enough money for retirement. That's that's what all the research is showing, the surveys are showing, uh, Jim, is that people have that major concern. And, you know, first of all, we're talking about a huge portion of the population. Those who were born during or after World War II from 1946 to 1964. That's an average of about 10,000 per day retiring. If you think about it, and and we'll know more recently or more currently when the 2020 census is done, um, what the numbers look like. But just to give you a quick stat on that, in, excuse me, uh, in 19, the the 74-year-olds, excuse me, let me back up, in 2010, all right, the first 65-year-old who were born in 1940 had not reached that point. Makes sense. Let me back up. They were not 65 yet in 2010, the last census. In 2020, all right, we'll know what that number looks like, but by 2030, the last baby boomer will be 65 years old. Wow. We're only talking about 10 years into the future. And that's going to be a lot of people retirement. It's retiring. When you talk about 1.6 million Americans are baby boomers, 1.6 million people. So the reality is for them to be concerned about retirement. I just read an article from uh, TD Meriprade that was so critical. Listen, guys, this, is, this kind of brings it right up to us. A thousand out of a thousand Americans that were surveyed, they said literally April of 2020 that COVID-19, the pandemic, had negatively impacted their retirement plans. 51% said that the pandemic had forced them to think, be more open, think more about continuing to work longer than what they had anticipated. And it had to do, this would be an income-paying job. And, and Shannon, this is going to have to do with what you're talking about. It has to do with health care. 
So when we talk about Medicare coming up, it's going to tie in to the whole idea between retirement planning and Medicare health insurance. That's a big issue on a lot of people's minds today. How am I going to pay for my health insurance? Am I going to have enough money to retire? So David, let me with this. How critical is it that when a person is looking at their retirement plan, that they have their portfolio in the proper investment arena. I mean, this how important is that today? Uh, everybody wants the perfect portfolio, Jim. But I think what we've got to keep in mind is, is that when two-thirds of the average American's retirement income is made by their Social Security income, which averages about $1,200 per month, Social Security and the timing of when you take it and when you retire is much more important than having the perfect portfolio. And when we say per, we're really talking about suitable. So based on just kind of their need for proper allocation, their need for income, but the timing of when they turn on Social Security is much more critical than having the perfect portfolio. You know, I think that's important for us to keep in mind. The baby boomers were born in those prosperous years, you know, after World War II. So they've got that mindset kind of with their thinking. So as they age, financial, you know, it's the financial health, it's the whole idea of developing the plan, knowing it's right. And I think it's gotten so complicated. A couple of weeks ago, we had um, Rusty Leonard on the program. He was talking about how, how complicated, he's an investment guy, how complicated the market has become today to know how to put something together. And I think there some of these passing these passing problems or pressing problems that, you know, the historical, historically for those of the baby boomers have really created an enormous issue for them. They go back to 2008. They remember that. The pandemic has created that. And I think there's that sense of anxiety. That's exactly right. And I would say uncertainty, I was going to say, but anxiety even greater. And I believe that's exactly what we're seeing because most everybody recognizes all the volatility we've seen, particularly this year just in the markets. And then you're trying to determine how you're going to take your income out of, out of your portfolio that's fluctuated so much. Well, let me ask you this. And we got just a few minutes here, Michael, before we have to take a break. But should everyone plan to retire and start their Social Security income when they retire? Or I know we talk a lot about this. We talk about taking at age 70. Mm-hmm. We talk about some taking at 62. What do we say as financial advisors and, and CFPs? What do we say? I hate to say this, but it's a person-by-person situation. I mean, everybody wants that. That's not the answer that I was looking for. I know. Everybody (laughs) wants this magic formula. You know, I've decided that you guys are real good at answering not what I've asked, (laughs) but what you are. Go ahead. I'm just kidding. It's no magic formula, as we all know here in this room. But I would say uh, you got to look at your situation and know where is my income coming from? Because a lot of the baby boomer generation, they may still have a pension. Um, Pensions are lifetime incomes from the working employers, but... That integrates with your Social Security, too. I'm going to come back and ask you that because I want to give you some more time. But if you just tuned in, Michael Powell, Shannon Dyson, and David Rochester, we're talking about selecting investments for retirement. Stay with us. You don't want to miss the rest of this program. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. On the program, email talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker, Michael Powell, and David Rochester are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. 
Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest is Michael Powell, David Rochester, and Shannon Dyson. We're talking about really preparing for a satisfying retirement, and that's important. There's a We have a PDF file if you would like to get that. All you have to do is simply go to our Facebook page, search for the document on our post, and you'll be able to review it. And if you'd like to copy it, you can do that, download it to the PDF and print it. Also, we talked earlier, Michael Powell was talking about some strategies, a checklist for newlyweds. And we also have one of those on our website. All you have to do on our Facebook page, all you have to do is go to the Facebook page, search for the document on our post, and, and then just simply print it out if you'd like to or view it. But that's satisfying retirement, preparing for a satisfied retirement, or a checklist for newlyweds. So don't hesitate to get that. They're free. We provide them for you. We want you to look at them. It's just strategies to help you get the most out of your 401k. It's, it's a checklist for newlyweds. Or if you've been married for a couple of years and you just want to get your finances in order, that checklist is designed just for you. Now, David, or Michael, actually, we were talking to you before we went to the break, and, and we were talking specifically about Social Security and so many questions and concerns. We get tons of questions about Social Security, and we've got Shannon's going to talk about Medicare coming up, and that is a topic that I guess probably one of the top five topics we get questions about. And if you do have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. That's talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We will get your question on the air, and literally give us a chance, and we'll get a chance to answer your question personally if you would like for us to do that. But, Michael, I was talking about Social Security. Social Security is sometimes a very tough subject, and it can be— Extremely tough. Extremely (laughs) tough, and it can be very complicated. Yeah, and because you're eligible at age 62, the earliest age, and then you can wait all the way up to 70 to to benefit you more. That's an eight-year gap. That's a long time to think about— when exactly it's the right time to turn it on. So you got to ask yourself a few questions like, am I still going to be working past my full retirement age or, you know, past 62? Uh, do I have rental income already? Do I have a pension that's going to be paying me for a certain amount of time? So, I mean, there's a ton of factors that go into it besides what age, because you got to remember, you're going to live for 25, 30 years. Longevity is huge today. You know, retirement. it reminds me that is a big issue for longevity, and mm-hmm. that uh, we don't think about that because people I know you just go back 30, 40 years ago, 50 years ago, the reality was people would retire at 65, and if you could go to 72, 73, 74, that was fine. Michael, you know, I'm going to ask you, why would anybody wait until 70 to take their Social Security anyway when they could turn it on at 62? I mean, why not go ahead and get the money? Early. Yeah, I mean, you've been paying into Social Security for so long. That's I mean, right. Most people are like, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to make sure I get that. The uh, reason why, David, is because the longer you wait, the higher your benefit goes. So if I'm 66 and that's my full retirement age, if I'm still working and drawing a paycheck and I still can meet my expenses, I'm going to get a raise every year I wait. 8% is a pretty good raise, right? Is that what you're going to get? It's an 8% so is it 8%? Raise? So is it 8% per year for the per year, four years? For or? those four years. Now, you don't benefit past 70. That's why I say turn it on when you turn 70 years old. But, I mean, who gets an 8% raise every year nowadays? That's a great point. That's a great point, so. and I think it's important for people to know. So Social Security needs to be planned. Yes. Medicare, we're going to lean in on Shannon in a few minutes. But now, David, i got to ask the question. This is, I think, the stressor. This is where people get very uptight about they've got all of a sudden 
I mean, we had somebody in the office the other day, and you could just sense the stress. Both of them are about to retire within the next couple of months. You could sense the stress, not only from mentally stepping away from a career of 35 years, both of them, uh, 40 years in one case, into the mindset of what am I going to do? Am I going to move? All those questions they'd ask, but have I got enough money? And am I invested correctly? How hard, how complicated is it to put together a, a retirement plan, a portfolio that's going to produce enough income without losing, you know, like in 08, without just literally having to lose 25, 30% of my principal? Jim, I'm not going to soften it. It's complicated. And that's that's what we do. But we've got to get the information. People have, it's kind of like we were talking about with the newlyweds, they've got to be transparent with us. But it is complicated because, you know, you're, you've got to make investment decisions. You've got to think about your 401k and the other things that you've invested in and how they're going to play into this. Back to the point we made earlier, when you're going to turn on Social Security and are you getting the best benefit? You know, what does your health look like? Does it look like you're going to live a long time? That's very critical in how you take Social Security. Um, how your money's allocated. And what we mean by that is, is just kind of the, the, the percentage that's going to be in, in bonds or bond-type you know, instruments, uh, stocks, uh, cash. You know, I think that's one thing a lot of people forget is they've got to have cash. That helps them tolerate this volatility we've been through. Choosing how much they're going to withdraw from their portfolios each year so they don't run out. It's complicated. Well, you know, I think the thought is it's complicated. You know, one of the things that we deal with is that person who's freaking out. I hate that term, freaking out, but that's what this person said during the pandemic when it dropped in March. The term was, I'm freaking out, you know. I mean, and I, I, I stuck in my head, and I'm thinking, okay, let's, let, me, let me help you get this in perspective. The market's going down. That's not the time you sell it. That's right. Well, you think about it. When you were a kid, you probably got in the pool. And if you went under a little too long, what's your first? You're going to drown. I've got to, you panic. What do you do? You grab the person next to you and all of a sudden you're pulling them a, under. I didn't have a pool. Okay. When I, I was okay. trying to put that in my mind. Sorry, mouth. farm I'm pond, sorry. you grabbed a cow, whatever. <laughs> I, I didn't want to go too far with this. <laughs> yeah, it was the mud hole back in about the third acre down. So right, but the point is, is you, you know, the lifeguards comes in and they, they show you how not to panic. I got all you. Right? They're there to help you through that process. Good so image. you can't panic. You can't be reactive when there's a lot of market volatility going on. You've got to be calm, and many times you need that, that lifeguard or that coach to help you through that process. Well, what you're saying is it ties directly into when, or not, when you take the Social Security, which is what Michael said, and then knowing that you can't panic, knowing that the market's going to have volatile times, it is difficult, but having guidance and having a presence and a peace of mind knowing that I have put a plan together, let the plan, the strategy, do what it's supposed to do. That's right. If we can get it down on paper, it's much easier to measure and, and, and go against what we've put down as the goals than if we just start making changes. And many times those changes are irrevocable. Well, that is, that is a big statement there. Making changes that become irrevocable changes can be very harmful. As an example, if you turn on your Social Security too early or you took your pension at the wrong time, or you didn't choose your spousal benefit correctly on your pension. Once that starts, it's almost impossible to unwind that. You know, that's a, it brings to mind, point to mind that uh, in this couple that we were talking to, their number one question on their pension and their company that they work for is, how do I, which one do I choose? And there was a ton of selections. 
And we tried our best to run as many different ways, different scenarios, numbers, showing them if you check this one, number one, it's this, number two is this. And I think that's what they needed to have that visual. It's complicated. You said it. Yes. But if you get the visual, if you can begin to put it together, you could sense the peace of mind that they had because... I think they were going through the process of making a wise decision. Well, at the end of the day, you don't want this to be guesswork. Oh, good point. Uh, it's, it's closer to surgery. You know, we need to know exactly what we're doing when we're going in. If, again, if we can do it on paper, get it all out as a very clear picture, it's going to be better. Well, let me ask Shannon this. What about health care, Shannon? This is the biggest, one of the biggest issues. In fact, it's up in that 50% range, 48 to be exact. 48% of the concern for most Medicare people, baby boomers, is Medicare cost or health cost. Literally looking at it, how much of it is, is, is I mean, it's, it, it's a complication. It's, it's a complicated fact in their lives, and they're fearful of not having properly chosen the right way. Talk about it. Sure, absolutely. I think before I do, though, we were talking earlier, I think people need to know who, who they're hearing from. David wrote in on a white night for his proposal. I proposed in a college apartment during a commercial of my wife and I's favorite TV show when the ring fell underneath the couch. So that's who you're listening to is a guy that is that smooth on a, on a proposal front. So yeah, that's okay. I wanted to let everybody Let's know that first. Let's move on to the next question. So uh, Medicare. A, what did you do? If it's a, the ring is underneath the couch, what did you do? So I you know, very awkwardly uh, got on my hands and my knees, <laughs> uh, looked down, and reached as far as I could under the couch to grab the ring, got up and tried again. All right. I got it worked. A, you know, it worked. You, you salvaged the moment. 22 years later, I'm well, still Well, hey, here, guys, so listen, I'm out at a park. And the the zoo that we used to go to when we would go out and just sit and talk and had big swings and stuff. I get out on one knee, man. I don't have the big shining night, but I'm on one knee and I'm asking my wife to marry me. And she says yes. And I'm thinking, good, because if she had said no, I don't know what I would have done. But she said yes. That was a good thing. And then I knew I had to face her dad when I got back. Right. Got it. <laughs> I was thinking, is there any way that I could maybe slide out through that? Because her dad... You know, I didn't sell him good enough. Her yeah. mom, no problem. Her Got mom it. took care of her dad, though. For Got her. it, yeah. Michael, how did you do it? <laughs> we were on a run at the Green Line. And, uh, you know, the Green Line, Shelby sure. Farms and all that. And I pulled a fake cramp with a run oh, on the run. Oh, that's impressive. And I, I pulled over to the side and just had – she's like, what are you doing? Did you eat this morning? Did you drink <laughs> enough water? She was getting mad. And then I pulled it out of my pocket. She just oh, started, we. you know. All right. Well, that's interesting, guys. I like it. You know, appreciate you saying that. Sure. All right. So All back, right. To, back to Medicare. Medicare. Uh, one of the things that, that I've been able to, to tell, we do Medicare seminars from time to time, and you can tell that people are starting to think about Medicare earlier by the ages of the people that are showing up to these seminars. Um, used to, we'd be just people at age 64, 63, turning 65. Uh, lately we've seen 55, 56, 57, because they're thinking, what is this Medicare? How much am I going to need? How, how much money am I going to need in retirement for my medical costs? Um, and there's a lot of information out there, but there's also, I heard this from my friend and they said, I need to do this. And I heard this from my other friend and they said they, that I need to do this. And so there's a lot of unknown and misinformation out there about what is it actually going to cost when you're in retirement. You know, you'd mentioned this, a lot of misinformation. Just this past week, we were in a meeting when we had this 
couple in there, and you were sharing with them all the Medicare costs, which is what we do for a lot of people. If you just tuned in, what we're doing is talking about three very, very important subjects. If you're getting married or just gotten married, how do you approach for finances? It's a stressor. Well, also, if you're retirement and if you're facing retirement, how do you put that stress outside? How do you move that that anxiety away? And David Rochester's done that. Michael did the newlyweds. David's done that. Now Shannon's talking about choosing the proper amount of health insurance. And that couple that we were talking to had multiple questions, number right. one, and a lot of misinformation. Absolutely. And one thing that they had was a, was a health savings account, an HSA that they were contributing to. And that's one thing that if, you're, if you are at age 55, even earlier, uh, and you start thinking about the Medicare process and contributing to a health savings account, there's planning that you can do within a health savings account so that when you turn 65 and go on to Medicare, you've got some money set aside for your medical bills for a long period of time. So you don't have to wait until you're 64 to start planning for Medicare. There are things that you can do much earlier on that can help you when you get down that road. So your suggestion to anybody is to do some planning before Absolutely. And yeah. knowing kind of what to look for. I know a lot of people today, Janet, are making decisions. We kind of talked about this earlier. People staying in work, in that workforce instead of retiring. Some of it has to do with 2008. Some of it has to do with the pandemic. But a lot of it has to do with the fear that Medicare is not going to be appropriate amount of coverage. Is that a, is that a legitimate fear? Or, or do you see that as something, if they've designed it, properly that they can be as good if not better or is it so bad that they should continue to work yeah for the most part when we have people come in it's really uh it's a math calculation we are not really the the fear of going under medicare because of coverage problems we dispel that pretty quickly now what do you mean the fear of in other words medicare is okay yeah people come in a lot of times and they've heard things where they're scared about um, my doctor won't accept medicare or the coverage is going to be terrible with medicare and we explain how it works the way that we can put medicare supplements in with your medicare a and your medicare b um, that you don't have a doctor network at that point you can go to any doctor that accepts medicare and by the end of those conversations they typically feel a little bit better so that we can then do an analysis and the analysis looks like this how much are you paying on your group plan and what's your deductible and then we can compare that to what are you paying for medicare part b and medicare supplement and what your deductible be will be then which is a lot lower and we can compare those total costs and then they can make a decision. Shannon, you do this so often, so much, and, and people need to know that if you'd like to talk to Shannon, Michael, or David, simply call 757-5757. That's all you have to do is give, give them a call, ask to speak to them personally. They'll answer your questions. Shannon, you you talk about Medicare Part A, Part B. You just go through it like it's your second language. It is a second language to you. Yep. But to our listeners, walk us through Medicare Part A, B, supplemental insurance, and then really part D, and then there's a couple of other things in there that you kind of toss around as spice. Yeah. <laughs> you got it pretty good. I mean, you've been... <laughs> hey, I've listened to you, you for it. a lot, you know? So, so Medicare Part A uh, is hospitalization coverage, and there's no cost to Medicare Part A. Um, you get that when you turn 65. You don't get it automatically. Okay, um, it's something that a lot of people think, I don't have to do anything. I'm automatically going to be signed up for Medicare. Uh, if you're not taking Social Security at age 65, you actually have to sign up for 
Part A of Medicare if you want it. Uh, if you're taking Social Security, they will automatically sign you up for that. So if you don't want it, you don't have to take it. Okay. Uh, that's another misconception. People think I have to take Part A. For the most part, you want to because it will help you. If you have a group plan, it'll help you reduce your deductible should you go into the hospital. Uh, but if you're contributing to a health savings account, like we talked about earlier, um, you don't want to take Part A because then you can no longer have that tax deduction of contributing to a health savings See, account. See, that's a little fine print. It is. And people just... I had a person at a seminar argue for five minutes with me for me with that, that one point. And he said, my employer was contributing to my health savings account. I was told that I had to take Part A. And as soon as I did... He could no longer contribute on my behalf to my health savings account, and he was not very happy. I'm sure he was. He didn't believe me, but he came back and said, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. That's so true. that would be a reason not to take uh, Part A. Then Part B uh, is everything, all charges outside of the hospital. So any doctor charge, if you have an outpatient surgery, any physician charges, CAT scans, MRIs, that would be part of Part B. All right, Shannon, you deal with this every day. I want to go ahead and I want to get into Part D and some of the other things, but, but answer the question because... I've had people tell me, well, I don't want to go on Medicare because I don't get the quality of doctor that I have now with my health insurance at XYZ Corporation. Mm -hmm. Tell me, is that a true statement? Is it partially true or totally false? Yeah, well, I, I can't make a blanket statement and I say it's, that, it's, understand that, but that it's going to be good for all because there are some doctors out there that do not accept Medicare. Uh, but I would say the overwhelming majority do. Has and that changed recently? You've seen some change with uh, doctors that are doing what they call the concierge type services. They're not accepting insurance at all. Uh, there are some changes going on in the market, but I, but the overwhelming majority of doctors still accept Medicare. And what I would tell that person is we can develop, we can put together a program for you, a health insurance program. And this, again, this is from a high level that you have $198 deductible annually and, and, and you get 100% coverage after that. So that's a, that sounds like a pretty good, uh, pretty good program. But you have to look at everything individually. Absolutely. Everybody yep. is, 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 is a person. You have to specifically. And there's also something to be said for comfort. And if somebody says, I am just comfortable with my group plan and I want to keep it until I retire, we're not going to argue that. No. That's, that's, that's going to be your decision, and that's fine. But I think it's important for people to at least say, okay, instead of having a preconceived idea, get some counsel, go yeah. on to ssa.gov, do right. something to find out before you just make that a blanket statement, because you're not making a blanket statement. You're simply saying, do the research, seek wise counsel, which right. is a biblical principle Absolutely. that we all should employ, and, and set out and say, okay, what is best for me? for my spouse, for my family, what's going on for this? And there are some instances where um, you work for an employer and they're paying 100% of your health care costs. Why would you want to give why that would up? You, change? you, you yeah. don't want to do that. And that's why it's such an individual choice about what you're currently, the, the benefits that you're currently getting, what you're currently spending on those benefits, and then what you could get if you go to Medicare. All right, part A, part B, you've explained, supplemental. Uh, so then supplements come in and take care of the charges that Part A and Part B do not cover. So Part A has a deductible if you go into the hospital. I think it's 1400 this year per occurrence. It changes each year. Uh, and then Part B of Medicare has a $198 deductible that I mentioned just a minute ago. And then you're responsible for 20% of all charges if you don't have a supplement. Uh, the supplements come in and take care of those charges. So it takes care of that 20% that you would owe. It takes care of the hospital deductible that you would owe. And of course, you owe a premium uh, for that Medicare supplement. And so that's where the planning 
before you turn 65 to know that you can afford uh, that supplement premium comes into play. All right. You said planning before I turned 65. Okay. I didn't retire at 65. I kept my health coverage. I'm now 70. Mm -hmm. Okay. Can I retire now? And what do I need to do? And if I select a supplemental plan now, Am I going to be what? Tell me, tell me things I need to be careful with because sure. every time I listen to you, it seems to be this moving parts moving this way, and and honestly, I listen to you a lot, and it still is complicated. So walk me through. I didn't retire at sixty-five. Right. David was saying that people are not retiring for mm-hmm. a lot of reasons, whether it's fear in their four hundred one k because they don't know if they can and they fear of running out of money, or it's health insurance. We saw that was a large percentage. So help me deal with that. Sure. First thing I would say is that if you don't retire, you still have the choice to go on to Medicare and a supplement if it fits you. If you don't, if you say, I want to keep my group plan, I'm going to work, and you you turn age 70 and decide, okay, now it's time for me to retire. Uh, Through that time, if you didn't have an HSA, you probably went ahead and signed up for Part A of Medicare. So you have Part A and you have your group plan. You say, Shannon, I'm retiring. What do I do now? Uh, we go and fill out an application for Part B of Medicare. So now you have A and B of Medicare. But you completed an application for you did. Part B. Absolutely. That's, that's different. When you turn 65, you can go online to ssa.gov and sign up for both online. Uh, if you don't do Part B at that time, when you go to do it later, it's an application. It's, they, they make it a little bit more difficult on you. It's not impossible, but you can't go on and fill out an application online yet. Hopefully they'll change that. But it's still an application. Uh, and then we look for a Medicare supplement. And the Medicare supplement, like I said, it, it supplements all of that. And you do not have to answer health questions. So a lot of times people come in, they say, I have pre-existing conditions. Is that something I need to worry about? Uh, when you first go on to get Medicare Part B and you first sign up for a supplement, you do not have to answer health questions during that open enrollment period. Anytime after that, you would have to answer health questions. So it's something to keep in mind and know those moving parts of, when I can sign up, and when I can sign up without health questions. All right, prescription drugs. That's, you get to be 65, 70, 75. You're taking more drugs today than a person who is at Michael's age is under 30, or 35 right. or 40. So bottom line is, that's just the nature of the beast. Tell me, what about prescription D? I think it's D. Yeah, Part D. And I understand Part D has got some changes to it. Part D prescription plan changes almost annually. I mean, there, there's different coverage amounts uh, that, they, that they pay that you would have to pay as the consumer. Um, but the, the basic description of Part D is it's, first of all, it's separate from your supplement. It is not the same thing. You will have a different insurance carrier, more than likely, uh, for your prescription Part D. And the main thing to know is that it's highly dependent upon the prescriptions that you individually take. So just because your neighbor has a great experience with WellCare or Cigna does not mean that that would be the same prescription provider for you. So per prescription is how you make the choice. It changes drastically between carriers. As an example, if you take Lipitor um, for cholesterol, uh, and let's say you're not taking Lipitor for cholesterol. You come in, we run a report and says, okay, WellCare is the right plan for you. Next week you get prescribed Lipitor and you say, Shannon, I had changed my prescription before we make this final. I put that in. It could change the prescription provider that we choose for you based on that one prescription. So I mean, that's, that's a big deal. So you need to have a, a list 
Now, because I said that, also understand you can change that every single year. So you're not locked into a prescription drug plan for the rest of your life when you make the first choice. You've got 45 seconds to tell me about Medicare Advantage. You've oh already confused goodness. me so much. <laughs> I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed Michael talking about, you know, how to get started as a newlywed. It was very simple. Right. And basically, David said it's complicated. Right. Seek help. You've right. got me so completely. Yeah, well, let me, let me try to tell you, Medicare Advantage, in a, in a nutshell, it's 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 not something that I would recommend for the most part when you first turn 65. Uh, there are doctor networks, smaller networks. You'll, you'll see it advertised as zero premiums that you can get. That is true. And it does work for some folks, but it's not something that we recommend on the front end because of the doctor networks being so small. You can always move into a Medicare Advantage policy later with no health questions asked. And I think that's the main point. Well, you've done a great job. You've explained a very complicated subject. So I want to say thank you, Shannon, for being here and walking us through, I think, a complicated subject for a lot of people. As you said, years ago, it was 65 and older. We're coming to the seminars. seminars today. It's like at 55 and 60 because it is complicated. But yep. thank you, sir. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Jim. And thank you, David. Appreciate you being here talking about Medicare and all the things that he's talking about. And then you go into dealing with 401ks and making the selections. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. And Michael, I newly wed. I'm coming to your wedding, by the way, in May. Oh, I'll see you there. All right, man. Bring Looking a big gift. Well, that, Great that, that's show, the, guys. That's a requirement. It's a requirement. Big I got gift. it. I got it. And I would have never thought running out on the green line and faking a bruised injury. I love it. That's great. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate you doing a great show today. You've been listening, of course, to KWAM, the mighty 990 FM 107.9 and AM 990. My guests, Michael Powell, David Rochester, and Shannon Dyson. If you have additional questions for Michael, David, or Shannon, and you would like to talk with them personally, give them a call at 757-5757. If you have questions for Talk Money, send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We will get them on the air of the program, and we'll answer your questions. To find today's programs on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Whether you're looking for advanced topics such as buying a house or investing, insurance, or looking for the best tips of just to jumpstart your savings account, Talk Money is here to answer your question. Next week, we're going to be buying a house and also looking at how we're going to finance the purchase. It's going to be a good program. You need to join us. Bottom line is, I appreciate you being here. Thank you so much. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Thanks for listening. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Michael Powell, and David Rochester are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Please keep in mind that the primary reason to purchase a life insurance product is the death benefit. Life insurance products contain fees such as mortality and expense charges, which may increase over time and may contain restrictions such as surrender periods. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. 
Separate from the financial plan and our role as financial planner, we may recommend the purchase of specific investment or insurance products or accounts. These product recommendations are not part of the financial plan and you are under no obligation to follow them. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation.